Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of No More Silos with me, Erica Santiago. This podcast is about the intersection of culture and Christianity from my perspective as an African-American Christian woman, Uh, not necessarily in that order. No More Silos is about breaking down and overcoming the barriers of compartmentalized information to help us connect the dots between the Bible, history, culture, tradition, and worldviews. Join me today for uh, a new episode where I share a message that I delivered, uh, I guess, in the past year at our church. I'm working on episodes for season three, and that's coming up soon, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening, and follow me on Instagram at Cultural Christianity. Have a great day. Amen. We are in uh, almost to the end of the Armor of God series, sermon series. And it's interesting because talking about spiritual warfare often sounds kind of spooky to some folks and and people get, uh, it's a thing in the church, but it's actually that phrase, spiritual warfare, is actually a modern phrase. Um, It's not something, if you went back in a time machine and met somebody from the second century uh, church, they wouldn't know what you were talking about if you said spiritual warfare. Because Christians their interpretation in the early church was of pacifism. So like the Quakers and the, and the, uh, the, the folks, you know, they, they were pacifists. This idea that we're this onward Christian soldier, that song was written during the Civil War to justify the lost cause. So it is, when we think of spiritual warfare, what the early church would have envisioned is from the messianic prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament of God as the divine warrior fighting the battles for us. Uh, there was a song, gospel song years ago, the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. And so, and Jesus models that, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. And then the, the Gentile Christians, the people who were not Jewish or were not familiar with the Jewish scriptures like Isaiah, they would have simply looked at this passage and envisioned a Roman soldier. They would have said, because the Roman soldiers were like the police, they were everywhere. And so they would have envisioned that. And so what I want to talk about today is I've been assigned uh, with the rest of the pastoral team part of this uh, passage, and I've been assigned the sword of the spirit. And it actually works for me because the sword of the spirit, it says, is the word of God. And so I am going to be talking to you yet again about why Bible study is awesome. <laughs> so good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome. Uh, let's start with the, with the whole passage, because one of the things that when we study God's word is a lot of times we look at it in the way of memes or sound bites, and we miss what's going on in the context. So let's do a quick review and also just kind of see where we're at in this study. So if you have your Bibles uh, handy, either online or in your hands, let's look at the armor of God passage. When Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in chapter 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 10, he's ending his letter. uh, Ephesians is a letter that Paul is writing to the church. And he says, a final word. He's wrapping up his letter. 
a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and, flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. So Paul, and in, in the old school church said, may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his holy word. Amen. Some of y'all went to church. So Paul is sitting in prison. He is not free. He doesn't have his, his physical freedom, but he is still free in Christ, and he is writing a letter of encouragement to the church at Ephesus. Today's topic is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, uh, and, and Bible study using our modern term, spiritual warfare, but really we're not talking about going out and taking the Bible and beating people up with it. Because that's the picture when some people say the sword of the spirit is God's word. And then they take the Bible and they want to beat somebody over the head with it. And that's not what Paul is saying here. Actually, one of the commentaries I was reading to prepare for today suggested that this passage from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus sounds like a coach encouraging his team at halftime. We've studied and prepared all our plays. We have a game plan to get out there and go for it. And if you stop and think about it, it kind of makes sense because this letter would have been read out loud to the church, gathered together for the equipping of the saints, gathered together as we are here today to prepare to go out in our full armor, in our full uniform, to reach, teach, serve, and love. So here's your first homework assignment. Tomorrow or later today, grab your, your computer, your Bible app, find it on YouTube even. Listen to the whole book of Ephesians, the whole letter. It's only six chapters. You can literally listen to it in about an hour if, or less. Um, all six chapters, listen to Ephesians. Imagine that you are sitting there like the people in Ephesus in the church, uh, someone's house church, who would have listened to someone read this letter from Paul, just in the same way that a that, uh, hundred years ago when the mail came to the town, it was read at the, uh, at the merchant store, at the local merchant store, because everybody couldn't read. And it wasn't a black thing or a white thing. Many societies and cultures throughout time, throughout history, had uh, times of great illiteracy. 
And so it's not that they were not educated. It's just it wasn't part of their lifestyle. But somebody could read. Somebody could write. And Paul, as we know, he was very educated. But let me, let me tell you what leads up to this pep talk. Let me share with you very quickly what leads up to this pep talk. Ephesians chapters 1 through 5 lead up to this pep talk. What's in Ephesians chapter 1 through 5? I'm so glad you asked. I know you were looking forward to this. Now, I can't go through all of it, so, so Jason is not going to put it up on the screens. But again, you're listening to this later. You're reading it later. So trust me, this is what's, what's, what's there. But actually, no, don't trust me. Read it for yourself later. Too often, and we're talking about this today, we don't, we just take people because they got the mic and we take their word for it that it's in there. It's not. Chapter one, what is the gospel? Paul opens several of his letters with a review of what we believe and why we believe it. He talks about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He talks about how Jesus ascended. He talks about how Jesus came back to him. He says, this is what we believe. And why do we believe it? Because there were hundreds of eyewitnesses. You can't tell me that the Twin Towers didn't fall 20 years ago. Why? Because I saw it on TV. And I know people who personally, who were there. I know people who lost loved ones, who were there. So this is the context that Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. There are people who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, people who saw Jesus live. They saw him die on the cross, and then they saw him walking around teaching for 40 days afterwards. Chapter one. Chapter two, who am I in Christ? I am the masterpiece of God. I have an identity in Christ. I am made in the image of God. Tracy talked about that already this morning. We are made in the image of God. All of us are made in the image of God. Chapter 3, how to pray. Paul writes in chapter 3, he gives us a model prayer, and he talks about praying bold prayers. He even says it in the passage I just read from chapter 6, that it... Pray for me that I can proclaim boldly the gospel, that I can pray those bold prayers. And so that is the thing that, that he talks about in chapter 3. In chapter 4, chapter 4 is fun. Chapter 4 is actually my favorite chapter. It's the Ten Commandments remix. Paul shows how Jesus raised the bar on the Ten Commandments, Christian living in a pagan world, what we would call secular now. Paul wants us not to embarrass Jesus by living like the pagans. He talks about this in several of his letters, but he talks about it there and he gives details. If you line up what's in chapter four on Christian living, your Bible might have a little heading that says Christian living, how to live like, you know, live like Jesus. It's actually the 10 commandments and you can compare point to point to point. The first half of the 10 commandments about loving God, the second half of the 10 commandments about loving people. But Paul goes into detail and makes it super plain. I was in Cartersville yesterday with my, with my kids. Uh, my son had uh, something to do for school, and I'm driving along, and those of you who don't know where Cartersville is, it's out in the sticks, okay? We were driving, we were mountains everywhere. It was really pretty. Um, but we drove past this little Baptist church, and out front, like the height of the drum set uh, wall here, uh, maybe taller, was a stone monument of the Ten Commandments. And I was sad. Let me tell you why I was sad. Because the Ten Commandments are in the Old Testament. 
y'all are Jesus-believing Baptists. Why don't you have a stone monument to Ephesians chapter 4? What did Jesus say? Jesus raised the bar when the Pharisees came to him and asked him, well, what do you think is the greatest commandment, Mr. Know-it-all? And Jesus said, love the Lord with your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. But the greatest of these is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, and then in John 13, 34, Jesus gives another commandment. And so in the Great Commission, which Pastor B just mentioned, the Great Commission talks about go and make disciples, teach, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Jesus said that all that I have commanded. Well, Jesus outlined two commandments that they were already familiar with from the Old Testament. All right, we got our, our monument. But then he says, I give you another commandment that you love one another, that you love the other, the people who are not part of your tribe, the people that are not part of your group, the people that don't know me. And so that was an issue. And, and, and that's what we see in the Gospels, like with the story of the, great, uh, of the, the Good Samaritan. He helps somebody that the, the, the religious leaders passed by on the road. The religious leaders told people, well, you can't be healed because your parents must have sinned. That's why you're sick. That's not true. If we believe that everybody's made in the image of God, then what Paul is telling us in this Ten Commandments remix in chapter 4 is to live like you were made in the image of God. Live like you know who Jesus is. And I left it, I left my phone over there, but today's Bible app verse of the day, no, I don't need it. Thank you, honey. Uh, the, today's Bible app uh, verse of the day talks about this, living like you know Jesus, living your life like you know Jesus from 1 John. Anyway, so Paul doesn't w wants us to not embarrass Jesus by living like the pagans. That's chapter 4. It's, it's the, the Ten Commandment remix. Jesus raises the bar. Chapter 5, Christian living continued, but now he's talking about being subversive. Why? Because it's a crime not to worship the emperor. But God said, love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. Follow him. We can't have idols. Anything that we put before God is an idol, whether it's your gym membership, your, your favorite TV show, your football team, or whatever. It doesn't go before God. And so now we have to be subversive. So Paul is teaching the church through this letter that he's writing about how to be subversive he talks about how to live with others, the people in your own household. He talks about marriage and family and your children and the people who work for you and with you. And, and then he says something really cool. He says, submit to one another. But you know what our English translations of the Bible have done in our wonderful patriarchal society over the last few hundred years? They have split that paragraph up to make it sound like submitting to one another is over here, but we're going to stand over here and start talking about wives submit to your husbands, and we're just going to start from there. And that throws everything else off because that's not what Paul was saying. He's not saying go and be subjugated by, by your husband. That is not Christ-like. Jesus talked to women with dignity. He talked to them as created by God, not 
how they were treated in culture. And we see that in the Gospels in every single interaction that Jesus has. So Paul is talking about how to live with others in chapter 5, relationships and marriage and family, submitting to one another. This is, it's a whole Bible study by itself. I don't have time to go into it, but it has been horribly taken out of context. Uh, go back and read it and ignore the paragraph breaks. Because remember, back in those days, they didn't have the verse numbers. They didn't have chapter numbers. It was just there. And it was read aloud. So if you're reading aloud, then it flows and it makes sense. You'll see things different. So I know I went through that really fast. But after all that is said in chapters 1 through 5, Paul gets to chapter 6 and he says his final word is about putting on the armor of God. And he uses that same putting on phrase in chapter 4. You see why it's my favorite back in chapter 4 when he talks about how to live as a Christian. He says, put on your identity in Christ. Put it on like you put on new clothes. How do you walk when you got new clothes? You get excited. Well, uh, some people do not me because I don't care. But most people get excited when they have new clothes to put on. And they're like, I've got new clothes. Well, guess what? If you're a believer in Jesus, you've got a new identity in Christ. Walk like you are in God, like you are a child of God. And so he's, he's talks about that. But he says, now you've gone through all of that, chapters 1 through 5. He's got this final word about putting on the armor of God. And when he gets to verse 17, the sword of the spirit, the sixth item, the sword makes use of the scripture as a means of defense against every demonic attack. This is what Tracy modeled for us this morning. That is what she modeled. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for that. The, this is the only time a sword is associated with the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Scripture is spirit-inspired. See 2 Timothy 3.16 and 2 Peter uh, 1.21. But here's the interesting thing. The people who would have been listening then, as far as Scripture was concerned, that was all the Old Testament. That was what they knew, what was in the Old Testament. So our, our analogy here is that it, we have this weapon to fight back against the attacks of Satan. And there's lots of passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament about the Word of God. And I'll highlight a couple of them today. Jesus is the Word of God in human form. And so we look at how does Jesus use the Word to defend against spiritual attacks, which are attacks on your mind, what you think about yourself, what you think about God, and what you think about other people. Remember, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your mind, your soul, your soul. Your whole, all of you. And so when we love God with all of us, that's, the, that's when the attacks are coming. That's what's getting attacked is what's in your head. And so if we're doing what Paul writes in chapters 1 through 5 in Ephesians, then this pep talk he gives in chapter 6 makes a bunch of sense. He's telling the church, he's telling you, he's telling me, just like James does, do not be hearers of the word, but also doers. If you're doing chapters 1 through 5, then you're ready for chapter 6. So what did Jesus do that gave the foundation for what Paul shared with the Ephesians? Well, if you look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, I'm not going to go into all of the verses there and read all of it for the sake of time today. But write this down, more homework. 
Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, right before Jesus begins his public ministry. Like verse 12 is Jesus walking up to strangers going, you, you follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. That's right after this. Jesus was led by the spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He's there 40 days, 40 nights. He's fasting and praying. He becomes hungry. And then the devil shows up just like he did with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And he starts talking to Jesus with out-of-context, bad social media memes. And he, he, he tells Jesus three times misquoted scripture. And three times, what does Jesus do? He's like, I'll take your social media memes and I'll tell you, no, the scriptures say... And he says, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And another social media meme, and Jesus responds, the scriptures also say. And then another social media meme, the scriptures also say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then verse 11 says, then the devil went away. He went away. He kept it moving. And the angels came and took care of Jesus. And then the next thing Jesus does, he's like, okay, I feel good. I'm going to go start my ministry now. I'm going to go get these guys to come follow me. And he walks in that identity because they follow him. I mean, think about it. If some dude walked up to you while you were working at work, on your job, at Amazon, loading boxes, and said, hey, Sheldon, follow me. I mean, what are you going to do? The Holy Spirit called those people to follow him. And so for New, Testament, for New Testament Christians, they didn't have the Bible yet. They believed because of the witness. They believed because of the eyewitnesses, of the people who were actually there. Their scriptures were the Old Testament scriptures. That's what Jesus get, throws back at Satan when he's tempted. And so, and, and by the time we get to the church at Ephesus, it was probably hit or miss what gospels or letters the church had um, until around the second century when scholars believed that everyone pretty much agreed on the 27 books of what became the New Testament, uh, which wasn't canonized for two more centuries. It wasn't um, officially made official for two more centuries. So people agreed by the second century, these were the core letters. These were the four gospels that were right. Um, because there were eyewitness accounts. That's why there's an attack right now on history. That is why people are saying, ooh, critical race theory is bad. No, critical race theory is just critical thinking. You want your kids to take prior knowledge and think and logic, and God gave us a mind. This It's absolutely absurd and ridiculous, but God gave us this mind, uh, and, and Tracy even said it earlier, the mind of Christ, be it, it, let it be in me. So Jesus uses the sword of the Spirit to resist Satan. What else did Jesus do? Let's look briefly at chapter 15 of Matthew's gospel, and the same story is told in Mark 7 too. And that's the thing about the gospels. Three of the gospels tell kind of pretty much the same thing, and then you get to John, who does things a little differently. But in Mark 7 and in Matthew 15, the, the heading in my Bible says that Jesus is talking about purity. And the Pharisees are tied up in knots because the disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. I mean, really, come on. I mean, they didn't have hand sanitizer back then. They're in like, you know, everything was dusty. I don't even know how anybody ate anyway. It was all dusty. So 
Jesus, in chapter 15, he's going back and forth with, with, the, uh, with the Pharisees about this. So more homework for you. Read that on your own time. But the key verse is chapter, Matthew chapter 15, verse 6. Jesus is responding to the Pharisees. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own traditions. And you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own traditions. See, the Pharisees weren't upset that Jesus' disciples weren't just washing their hands. They probably did what my kids do. I'm good. It's clean. We can eat now. No. There's a whole ceremony, that had the ritual ceremony that goes into hand washing. That's what they were upset with. They were like, no, you didn't do, if any of you have ever watched, uh, I've seen, seen it recently on TV, the Ethiopian uh, coffee ceremony. It's like, you're not just having a cup of coffee. There's like a whole thing that goes with it. Not like me, like pushing buttons on a Keurig in the morning, half sleep and hoping I'm pushing the right ones for the right size cup that I have under there. Um, and, and so that's what they were upset about, the tradition. So Jesus first, he goes, he, he, next thing he does in the next couple of verses in this passage is he says to the crowd, he's like, come over here. Let me explain to you. I think it's verse 14. Let me give you a brief lesson on what makes actual sense. And he talks about what goes into your mind and your heart goes and, and comes out of your heart. So what you if it's not about hand washing that makes you pure. It's what you're thinking about, what you're studying, what you're reading, what you're watching. There's some things that I just won't watch on TV because I find it disturbing, but I just won't watch it because I don't want that in my head. Because you watch it enough, and then it, turn, it, it makes it a whole different thing. I did an experiment when my kids were really small. Um, didn't, I failed with Sydney, but uh, when, when Brooke and Broderick were small, I would mute TV commercials because it's one thing to see the toys in the commercial, but it's a whole different thing. If you listen to the commercials, it's like, get your mom or dad to get on their computer and go to this website, buy this thing right now. But if all they did was just watch it, they don't hear the announcer telling them what to do and giving them instructions. So it matters what we watch. And that's what Jesus is talking about in that passage. And then Peter comes along ever confused and he's like, can you explain that? Because I didn't, I didn't get it. And so Jesus has to go back and explain it one more time for his disciples. When we are tempted by the devil and our mind is attacked by half-truths and false gospels, what Paul is telling us here is we have to have God's word inside of our hearts. We have to be ready. We need to know God's word. But Paul cautions that it's not just the word. We need the whole armor. So Jesus was concerned about false teachers, and so were other New Testament writers like Paul and Jude, of course, and James. Everybody writes about it. If you read the New Testament letters, you will see a recurring theme of, hey, there's some folks out there telling y'all stuff that's not true. So many of Paul's letters, as I said, start off with a brief recap of the gospel so that everyone is on the same page. Or what, and, and then there's what I like to call his, who dis harpo? color purple moment in Galatians 1.6. Listen, tell me if you don't hear who this Harpo. Tell me if you don't hear Oprah going, who this Harpo? Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, and we can put that on the screen. He starts off this letter to the church asking them. He's, he's like, oh, you know, usual greetings and stuff. And then he goes, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. 
Who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ? You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And then Galatians is a whole other discipleship 101 letter that Paul writes to the church at Galatia and echoes a lot of the same stuff that he says in Ephesians. And, but in Galatians, he makes it plain that neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free man nor woman is seen differently in the eyes of God because we are made in God's image. When we look at the New Testament, when we look at Scripture, when we look at what we know now as believers in Christ, we have to have that information. If we don't, then we fall for QAnon. We fall for the black Hebrew Israelites. We fall for whatever person knocks on our front door. Y'all know the Jehovah's Witnesses have their own Bible? It looks like your Bible. It walks like your Bible. It sound, it's in King James English intentionally, so it sounds all holy and stuff. But they took stuff out because they don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They don't believe that Jesus is divine, the Son of God. They don't believe he, he's coming back. They made up some stuff, and you know where, where they got it? The four, a fourth century heresy. A fourth century heresy. Like, like councils met and talked about this and said, nah. And then... A thousand years later, somebody else comes along and goes, I think this is a good idea. We're going to go tell people about it. In fact, we're going to knock on doors. And we're going to use the King James translation of the Bible so it sounds official. Jude, in his letter, Jude's Jesus' brother. We did a whole Bible study on Jude a couple of years ago. He starts off his letter, and Jude's letter is so short, it's not even like a chapter, uh, Verse 3, he says, Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting about that is he goes on to explain what happened in the Old Testament that got folks in trouble the last time they did that. But see, we skip over that in Jude because we're not familiar with that New Testament story because that's not David in a slingshot. That's not David raping Bathsheba. Oh, I'm sorry. That's wrong, wrong Bible study. Um, Luke chapter 8. Jesus teaches a parable and explains it in verse 11. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. 
and the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. So what's our takeaway from Paul's pep talk? Sometimes we need to be on the offense, and sometimes we need to be on the defense. Learning God's word is not about just encouraging us to have a good day. It's about being prepared, growing deep roots so you will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, so let's, let's reread where we were. Paul has, has talked through verse, uh, chapters 1 through 5 in Ephesians. He's told people how they're supposed to live, to live like Jesus. And then his final pep talk is a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It says, take the sword. It doesn't mean slap somebody upside the head with it. It's, it's like, have it with you. I like to watch a lot of movies uh, and stuff set in medieval times. And, they're all, and, and so you see the knights and, and people, but everybody walked around with their sword hanging from their belt. Even the women walked around a lot of times with a sword hanging from their belt. I watched a really cool cowboy movie last weekend. The women also had their guns. Yes, yes. It was pretty empowering. <laughs> but I'm not but the thing is is you don't have to use it. It's there. It's there if you need it. You know it's there. So what does it look like to be on offense? And, I, and, and let me just share with you what it looks like to be on offense, and then I'll share with you what it looks like to be on defense, and then we're all through because I'm watching the clock, Jason. I'm, I'm doing better this time. <laughs> offense, the proclamation of the gospel. Tracy said that. I said she preached my sermon. If you don't say it. If you don't know, if you don't know it, you can't say it. Ephesians chapter 1. What do I believe? Why do I believe it? If you know God's word, then you're prepared to share it. Peter writes, you know, be prepared to tell people this hope that you have. When I was early in my career uh, in, in, in corporate life, I would walk in on Monday morning. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. I'm in the break room fixing my car. Happy Monday. And these people thought I was crazy. They were like, are you high? And I'm like, well, no, it's a happy Monday. We got a job. I could be home in my fuzzy slippers, but I praise God I'm here. Amen. And I was happy to be there. And, you know, that was before they kind of beat all hope and sense out of me. But, you know, corporate life will do that to you. 
But if you know God's word, you are prepared to share it, prepared to share this hope so that you can liberate those who are trapped in darkness. If I'm on offense, I'm here to liberate people. I start out by saying, I am coming for you. John 13, 34 says, you will know my disciples by how they love. Loving people like Jesus loves is fighting offensively, praying the bold prayers, proclaiming the gospel, submitting to one another in love. And Paul's remix of the Ten Commandments, Jesus raises the bar. What does love require of me? In Ephesians chapter 4. And so, so, and remember, just having a, a, a stone monument of the Ten Commandments does not tell me you're a Jesus follower. In fact, that's a red flag for me. Wasn't that meme going around on social media the other week with red flag? If you have a stone monument of the Ten Commandments and your pastor only preaches out of the Old Testament, red flag, red flag. You can't start in the Old Testament and preach a whole sermon on the Old Testament and then jump over at the end. Now, if you want to follow Jesus, why? Why do I want to follow Jesus? You didn't tell me nothing about him. Jesus raised the bar. Now, what does it look like to be on the defensive side? I've got my armor on. I'm ready. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus' example, responding to the attacks of Satan with Scripture. Poor Adam and Eve, they, didn't, uh, they, they walked with God. They could have said, uh, no, we know what God said, but they didn't. And everything was screwed up. And God was like, all right, I'm going to have to send Jesus. Defense, the attacks are persistent. The attacks are varied. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart. The Holy Spirit is not going to tell you something that contradicts Scripture or definitely not Jesus' commands. I get nervous when people go, God gave me a word for you. Felicia knows what I'm talking about. Y'all online, y'all know those people. Listen, I was in Walmart one time, scared me half to death. I was trying to buy some coffee, and a lady walked up to me and was like, I feel like God has told me to speak to you. I was like, no, he didn't. (laughs) If someone is not speaking God's word to you, but if you don't know what God's word says, you don't know if what they're saying is true or not. You have to, Bible study will help you. The whole armor, not just the part you like. And I think this is so important. And I know that that, that, uh, Pastor B is going to come back next week and talk about prayer. And that's all part of the armor. But go back and listen to Pastor Danny and Pastor Celeste and Pastor Marvin from last week and Pastor B earlier in this series. Go on our YouTube channel at Mosaic Mableton and watch those videos because you got to get the whole armor on. If I'm playing football, now y'all football fans out there, you know, I, I root for the New York Giants, but, you know, I don't have no Giants gear, so my husband says I'm not really a fan. But, but he won't let me buy giant gear and bring it in the house. So, but that's a whole other thing. Um, if I'm a football player, I don't go out with some of my pads on and leave my helmet. If I'm in the military, I don't show up with some of my uh, weapons or whatever that it, they, they wear. If I am, whatever it is that you do, and, you, and, and, and the scripture says this, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Yeah, 
So whether you are a teacher or a football player or a janitor or you are a student, you do all things for the glory of God. So whatever you show up in, whatever your armor is, Paul is just using this as an analogy. He's a gifted writer. He's using armor as an analogy to connect people with what he's trying to tell them. Get one through five. Get Ephesians one through five through your head and into your life and put on that identity in Christ so that your armor that you walk out the door with, you got it all on because you need all of it. There's a gospel song that I like. One of the lyrics goes, but that's not how the story ends. That's love, which brings me to the end of the story, the book of Revelation. Revelation's not scary, by the way. Watch the Bible Project video on the book of Revelation. It actually explains it really, really well. Revelation chapter 2 tells us what happens to the church at Ephesus and several of the other churches in what is now modern-day Turkey. Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, but I'm going to start at verse 1. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Uh, scholars believe this is Jesus talking to John. John, uh, Jesus comes, uh, John has a vision, and he writes down what Jesus tells him. And Jesus has seven letters for the seven churches. Ephesus uh, is uh, the beginning of chapter 2. Verse 2, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. QAnon and other false gospels are not a new thing in the church. People have been making stuff up for centuries. And while we are fighting back with scripture and correct doctrine in our efforts to defend our faith, to be on defense, we have to be careful that we don't lose sight of what's important. And that's love. We must love well. In fact, spiritual maturity is demonstrated by how we love. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Add that to your list of reading for this week. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Most people read that at their weddings because it sounds, oh, it's love. It is like, that's not what it's about. It's like that police song from the 80s that's about stalking. And, 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 and Sting in an interview on VH1, this was years ago. So one, there's a song from the 80s the, uh, by the police. Nikki probably knows it. And he, it's, it's, uh, it's about watching someone, and people were dancing to that at their weddings as their first song. And it was, it's a lovely song, but the lyrics are about being stalked. And so Sting was interviewed, uh, I think it's sometime in the 90s, and he's like, I don't understand why people play that song at their wedding. Because I was talking about somebody being stalked, like, I'm watching you. Yeah, that's creepy. It's a creepy song. If you listen to the lyrics, but the music is beautiful. So people are like, oh, I love my husband. Yes, it, it's so not healthy. Spiritual maturity is what 1 Corinthians 13 is actually about. It is not your, I mean, you should be spiritually mature if you're getting married because it would really help your marriage. But it doesn't have anything to do with what we think 
it has to do with. We have allowed, remember Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is like, you guys can't follow the word of God because you're stuck on how they're washing their hands. You're stuck on tradition. Get rid of tradition. The, the traditions are nice. I mean, I'll keep my Christmas tree. But I also know and teach my kids it's not about Jesus. It's not, Jesus probably wasn't even born in December, but that's a whole other Bible study. Spiritual maturity is demonstrated by how we love. Remember why we are here. We are here to reach, to teach, to serve, and to love. And we gather together, whether it's online or in person, to equip you to go out and make disciples by modeling love and serving and building relationships because I can't hold people accountable in love if I don't know you. And we saw that in the pandemic. At the beginning of the pandemic, when everything shut down and we had to shut down our services, I had people calling me going, um, I want to get some stuff to the person that sits in the back by the third rows, two people over, and their hair looks like, I'm like, you don't know their name. And then I'm guessing, like, is it this person? No, I don't think it's that person. I know that person. Learn, before you leave here today, if you are physically here, learn somebody's name. If you are online right now, notice somebody who is in the chat room and friend them. Be their friend. Be their accountability partner. Put yourself out there and say, hey, I want to make friends because that's the only way I can do Ephesians chapters 1 through 5. I can't do it by myself. We weren't designed to do it by myself. God said it in the beginning. He said, man cannot be alone. He had made us all inclusive like a one-kit wonder. But then he was like, I got to split y'all up because you need company. And the animals aren't cutting it. Then we are prepared. If we can do chapters one through five with our friends, then we are prepared to put on the whole armor of God, put on the whole uniform, knowing that what we know about God's word, we have our sword with us all the time. Amen.